Welcome to CJLO's Weekly News Roundup. As just mentioned in the pack at the top of the hour, I am Cam, the Program Director here at CJLO, and I am joined on the phone by Katie. Katie, how's it going? Good morning. How are you? I'm great. Uh, yeah, how was the chase this week? Just to check in. The chase is chasing. Uh, I'm working on a lot of immigration stories this week. Uh, and it's the, uh, it's the start of Black History Month. There's a lot of news coming down the pipe this week. Uh, yeah, we're, we're in the winter swing of things. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very exciting time to, um, I don't know, the, it's, it feels like, uh, it's, it's exciting time to be reporting, but uh, again, once, it, once again, it seems like we're in this mode where the stories are, uh, there's some not good things happening in the, around Montreal. Yeah, Quebec's Quebecing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, definitely on the note of Black History Month, actually, tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., I think uh, the, f- the folks over at the Get Up are going to have a nice little episode. I think they went over to a play called Diggers uh yesterday and i think they might have some uh updates about that and i hope uh you tune in then yeah i'm looking forward to that one is that the one at the seagal center i believe so yeah 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 cool uh yeah we're gonna have a lot of good stuff for uh for february for sure yeah well uh let's introduce this first little topic so asylum seekers katie Asylum seekers, yeah, we've been talking about asylum seekers in the news for a couple of weeks now, starting, uh, starting when Francois Legault wrote a letter to the Prime Minister recently, um, and there's been some more announcements about this week. Um, I spoke to a local community integration worker and another expert uh, downtown uh, near the other campus of Concordia. Uh, the folks at the refugee center, um, uh, a, a lot of a lot of complicated stuff going in there. A national story, but also a very local story. Um, Francois Legault had, you know, pointed to um, the high number of asylum seekers as um, causing strain on our system, and uh, uh, other other people want to see uh, something a little more careful planned out than just please stop sending them here. Yeah, it seems. Uh, yeah, it seems like a uh, things have been very direct and uh, in a way that is, you know, uh, not necessarily under under uh, addressing underlying issues. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, let's jump into this pack on asylum seekers. Okay, we'll be back with you in a second. Mid January, Quebec Premier Francois Legault wrote to the Prime Minister. He said Quebec can't sustainably support the larger number of refugee claimants seen in recent years and suggested they be funneled to other provinces. On Wednesday, Federal Immigration Minister Mark Miller pledged $362 million to help provinces handle the influx. And Quebec is supposed to get about $100 million of that. But Miller pushed back on the idea of the government managing the flow of claimants around the country. We have, uh, with in the past had the luxury of playing hot potato with provinces and territories because of the low number of asylum seekers coming to the country. Uh, We don't have that uh, perverse luxury anymore because we have these large flows and it is impacting some of the larger cities and obviously the province's uh, real or perceived ability to absorb the populations. Abdullah Daoud, executive director of the Refugee Centre in Montreal, told CJLO that an outdated infrastructure to support refugees is the issue and that the number of claimants is because of government policies like the closure of Roxham Road, 
It comes as no surprise to grassroots organizers. Um, and then when we ask for help or when we plead and end up a call for help, unfortunately, we, we see you know, the Premier Lego uh, uh, use this as an excuse to say, hey, you need to stop asylum seekers from coming in. When in reality, it's, you know, it's a, it's a legal structure, both provincially and federally, that's uh, causing uh, the stranglehold this bottleneck. He welcomes the announcement for more federal funding, but hopes it's sent to the right organizations and not just handed to the provinces. Manisha Iyer is the project coordinator at Bienvenue NDG, an organization that helps integrate immigrants. She says very few groups have permission and funding to properly serve asylum seekers, but Bienvenue NDG can offer them supports like franchisation. There's language classes that they were able to do that increased their opportunity. And uh, we know that like of some, this, this particular family, at least, we, they have been able to sort of set up their own business, a catering business. And uh, so it's, it's uh, definitely we see resilient families that are ready to do it and that are able to achieve these things. But I think the most important factor there is the support that they have received from community organizations. Daoud explained that the solutions must come from bureaucratic and systemic changes, not from trying to cap the number of newcomers. I think for overall what's missing in the conversation is this idea of, you know, the ability to stop people from coming. Um, that's not a, that's not really how it works. Um, it, it's not a program in which we can cap or restrict a certain amount. Uh, global forced uh, displacement is a reality. We're seeing displacement at the highest levels ever been historically for a, a really long, long, long time. So that was uh, Katie's pack on the situation going uh, on with asylum seekers in Quebec and I guess across Canada as well, because this is sort of a federal story, correct? It is a federal story, yeah. And uh, it, it was a bit of deja vu with last week's state of immigration announcement um, in Quebec. Um, but this one, especially, you know, we're, we're set to receive a pretty big chunk of that money because we do have a very high number of asylum seekers compared to other parts of the other parts of the country. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was interesting to see not a direct response to, to Legault's letter, but certainly an indirect one. Um, and the press conference with the announcement yesterday was pretty lively, too. Uh, a lot of reporters pushed back. They wanted more information, uh, especially there were a lot of questions about Toronto. Um, Toronto, they did say, would probably be seeing a lot of money from that allocation as well, but no details yet. So, um reporters gave um, Minister Miller a bit of a grilling about that. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting to see him, see the minister, the federal minister, push back a bit on um, the idea of just bouncing people around the country or the idea that uh, the Canadian government should just be able to tell people where they're going. Yeah, and I understand there was a bit of like a commotion during the press conference Yeah, yesterday. yeah, it was, cause it was question period yesterday. Uh, uh, Parliament's back as well this week, so they had a lot of things on the go. He ran off at one point to do a vote. Uh, a lot of reporters seem not so happy about that. I heard one say, well, why, why schedule the press conference now? Uh, he, the minister did come back and take questions after that, though. Um, but still, the questions about Toronto, about who's getting the money, uh, what kind of organizations, um, 
if there's any other details coming, yeah, there, there's more to come on that, I think, from the feds. So let's, uh, I guess, transition from the federal conversation to the local conversation. Yep, yep. Um, Manisha Iyer, the project coordinator at Bienvenue NDG, um, she uh, is near to us down in West West NDG. Uh, they have a lot of great services there. They help uh, they help people integrate into the neighborhood. And she she pointed out to me that uh, they don't have specific funding for asylum seekers, but they do end up um, being able to help a lot of them. And uh, we've got a bit more with her. Yeah, there's just a, like a great local way to, I guess, um, get used to life here in Quebec because it's uh, they offer like language services and so much more and just like a good way to an organization that helps welcome people to the neighborhood. So let's check yeah. out this interview. Yes, yes, we, yeah, yeah, exactly. Post-pandemic, I think we've seen an increase, which I think many other organizations have seen that as well. And um, the challenge there is, um, since we don't receive any funding to serve asylum seekers, we are not able to, you know, go beyond a certain um, limit that we have. However, there are some, a few, a handful of organizations that do receive some funding, but since they're just limited in number, they are overwhelmed with the appointments and the wait times to see a counselor there or to find somebody who can help them is really long, and which is sad because they would be able to do a, do, go through, you know, in a more thorough manner with them about on their different needs, but um, because it's uh, again like i said it's not it's a very few um few organizations that receive this funding and so they are also overwhelmed because of that so uh i mean we've seen in ndg itself the food bank has been overwhelmed we at the ndg were also you know uh, went had a lot of asylum seekers the schools um i mean we we all because we work with the schools as well and uh, the schools contact us when they need to uh, communicate with parents because they don't speak French or English. And uh, so we see that there is there has been a rise in the numbers. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that there were uh, sort of different needs for asylum seekers or refugees than other newcomers. Well, I would say yes. Right. Um, so I would say like the needs are similar, just that there are different layers because um, for uh, the, the main thing is um, for an asylum seeker, it's a completely unplanned immigration process. I mean, they are forced to leave and they have come here. It is not a planned um, process, as, you know, like uh, uh, somebody who's coming in with a, to work here or to uh, study or to as a permanent resident. It, that's a more planned process that they are going through. Whereas for the asylum seeker, it's completely unplanned. And so when they come here, they have to really, I mean, they don't have any financial means. Um, They are dependent on the social assistance that they get. And that is by no means enough to sustain. Uh, So sometimes the, the wait period to receive their work permits is long. Although, like I said before, the federal government has put in place certain 
uh, strategies and policies that expedite this process. But it's still, you know, like uh, for them, the first thing is to be able to get earn money to feed the family, to find the, uh, a house. And then, of course, here in Quebec, they need to la- learn the language. The language is a big barrier. And so the wait times for the French classes are also long. So, you know, it's uh, I would just say that there are different layers in their uh, process, in their integration. Without naming anyone specifically, if you uh, could share mm-hmm. some positive impacts or a success story from specifically an NDG that you've seen, maybe. Uh, oh, look, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've had... Specifically, uh, what are the, the impacts yeah. of this work? Yeah, absolutely. We've had um, families that came here, as you know, as an asylum seeker uh, with... Uh, with kids and they were waiting to you know they then they became accepted and they they're right now permanent residents but then they were they did their french classes and so now they're um they then they were working in just general job but because uh, of the language that they were able the language classes that they were able to do that increased their opportunity and uh, we know that like of some this this particular family at least we they have been able to sort of set up their own business a catering business and uh, so it's it's uh, definitely we see resilient families that are ready to do it and that are able to achieve these things but i think the most important factor there is the support that they have received from community organizations. And uh, I feel, I mean, I am, of course, biased because I'm a resident of NDG, but I feel NDG is a really uh, welcome, welcoming place for newcomers. You know, we find different cultural communities here. It's really diverse in that aspect. And uh, the team that we have, uh, the team of uh, integration counselors that we have, reflect the different communities that are present in NDG as well. So. That's right. You're listening to CJLO. And, uh, we're available at cjlo.com and at CJLO 1690AM as well. So radio or internet, both work. Uh, yeah, this is our weekly news roundup. Welcome back to the the talking portion of the show. Uh, I'm joined in uh, over the phone by our LJI reporter, Katie Brady. Uh, hello, we're back. Yeah, so we're going to be diving even deeper into this asylum seeker story because you, you did a lot of interviews for this. I did. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been on my brain for a few weeks now, and especially following on our other immigration reporting. Um, so. We just heard from Manish Iyer, the, the project coordinator at the new NDG. Again, that's a, a local org down our way, our neck of town, that helps integrate people uh, into NDG. Lots of good services. Um, they they set up families with with um, with language classes, uh, their social events. Uh, they uh, they help uh, set up schooling and health things. Um, and uh, we just heard a bit from her about uh, about some of the successes that she's seen, you know, about, about how important these community groups really are to getting people set up when they're new to Quebec. And uh, we spoke to one last source, Abdullah Dayed at um, the Refugee Center. Uh, 
They are on St. Catherine West, a little farther downtown. Uh, they also help integrate newcomers, refugees, asylum seekers into Montreal. Um, they offer a lot of legal services as well. And uh, I spoke to the executive director, Abdullah Deity. He told me a lot about these sort of, I don't know this is a bureaucratic problem rather than just, just a numbers problem. He, he, uh, he welcomed the announcement from, from the federal government yesterday, but with hesitation. And uh, his, his take as a, as a grassroots uh, organization uh, is that, you know, we could have seen this coming. This is, this is just going to keep coming, and our system is way old to handle this. Yeah. Uh, so should we dive into that interview right now? Yep, let's get to it. All right. Here it is. Well, first, uh, so we're an organization based in Montreal. Um, we offer a variety of services to refugees and refugee claimants, including uh, you know, academic aid, orientation, mental health services, uh, a full-service legal clinic. Um, in regards to um, the, the influx of Asylum seekers, uh, I mean, yes, there, there is uh, obviously an increasing number. This is something I think not just us, but a bunch of, you know, grassroots um, refugee uh, organizations have been, um, um, you know, vocalizing to the government ever since the closure of Roxham Road that this issue is not going to go away and that we're going to continue to see um, refugee claimants come in and that's what's happened uh, actually we have more refugee claimants now um since the you know the highest number that was coming from oxen road that's already been surpassed so the, the issue isn't so much that there's an influx the issue is that we've known that uh, you know these numbers are going to come for a while now and we haven't updated our infrastructure and we haven't updated our systems to accommodate those numbers because you know, forced migration is not something you can control. When people are being forcibly displaced and showing up at your borders, that's not something that uh, you can have an on or off switch for. And uh, what are the most significant challenges that immigrants and refugees and asylum seekers face uh, when they arrive in Montreal? Uh, and how does your organization assist in overcoming these? Sure. I mean, there's a series of uh, the obviously challenges, but I think the first and foremost is issues of bureaucracy. Um, refugee claimants are uh, expected to do a lot within a 45-day period. Uh, for example, they have to submit um, their basis of claim, which is their initial uh, document of claim to why are you coming to Canada, what is the fear of persecution that you have. This is a legal document that kind of has to be done with a lawyer. Um, so legal aid is already kind of overwhelmed, and there's not enough lawyers to take on these cases. So a 45-day limit is already quite small. Uh, in addition to that, there's a series of online uh, platforms that they have to use in order to submit documentation or fill out personal information. Um, so they have to have a level of like, digital literacy or knowledge in, in order to do this. And uh, I know it kind of sounds a bit easy, but it's actually quite difficult. A lot of them don't have access to laptops. They can't submit using their phones. Um, and these are very important procedures that you know they can't make mistakes on. Um, so organizations like ours, you know, have to go to all these areas in which refugee claimants are staying or sheltering and, and bringing laptops and uh, help them through that process. Um, so it's just a series of bureaucracy that they have to go through that is uh, honestly very challenging. 
and very stressful. Uh, in addition to that, um, refugee claimants don't uh, have access to the same resettlement services that refugees or uh, typical immigrants do. So, for example, all resettlement services that are government funded uh, are actually not allowed to use government funding to service refugee claimants. So, a lot of organizations can't even help them um, because their funding restricts them to do so. So, that already limits the scope of where they can go and who they can go to. Um, with that being said, that puts the pressure. It, it's not so much that there's a high number, is that there's a high number coupled with a little bit of outdated laws and an increased amount of bureaucracy all mixed together that makes the situation a lot more difficult on community organizations like ours. Um, and then when we ask for help or when we plead and, and make a call for help, unfortunately, we, we see, you know, the Premier Lego uh, uh, use this as an excuse to say, hey, you need to stop asylum seekers from coming in, when in reality it's, you know, it's a it's a legal structure both provincially and federally that's uh, causing uh, the stranglehold this bottleneck uh, among community organizations and services. And uh, looking forward, uh, what changes and improvements would your organization like to see at a, a provincial mm -hmm. or national level uh, to better support the integration of immigrants and refugees? And also, how would yeah. you, this announcement today about three hundred sixty million? Minister mm. to support this, but details to come. How would how would mm. the organization like to see that divvied up or used wisely? I think it's definitely um, a good uh, a good move forward. It's just how that money is dispersed is obviously very important. If it's dispersed directly to the provinces without uh, oversight or that it going directly to the community organizations that have been kind of carrying the weight, that would be problematic. Uh, in terms of what I would like to see other than just, you know, financial commitments, it is uh, legal commitments. So uh, both provincially and federally, we believe that they should be changing uh, the policies to ensure that public funding that goes to resettlement organizations can be used to serve refugee claimants. This would help alleviate a lot of the pressures. Uh, you know, in, in Montreal, I can count on one hand the number of organizations that uh, service refugee claimants. And although we have so many resettlement organizations, but there's only very small few that can actually do so because they're either privately funded or have their own kind of funding structure outside of the government. Um, so that, that needs to be looked at and needs to be addressed. Um, I think uh, what the announcement today was a good step forward. But it also needs to ensure that uh, you know these funds are allocated uh, properly, and that there's you know, a public announcement or public call for proposals for organizations who have already been doing the work to uh, have a chance to obtain that funding rather than just going to the provinces. Okay, thank you. That's all my questions. Is there anything I haven't uh, mentioned about where we're at in this conversation this week uh, that you'd like? I to think overall. For sure, yeah. I think for overall, what's missing in the conversation is this idea of, you know, the, the ability to stop people from coming. Um, that's not a that's not really how it works. Um, it, it's not a program in which we can cap or restrict a certain amount. Uh, global forced uh, displacement is a reality. We're seeing displacement at the highest levels it's ever been historically for a, a really long, long, long time. Uh, you can look at the UNHCR statistics for that as well. 
Um, so it's not something that we can avoid. Uh, we have to uh, kind of meet this issue head on and update our infrastructure to accommodate the demand. Because if we don't, then, you know, it's just going to be a problem that we're stuck with and we're not, uh, we're, everybody all around is, is, is not going to benefit. Uh, I was wondering if we could talk just a bit about that because I see a lot of people saying Quebec won't be affected because we don't have that many students. But you raised a really good point about um, about the other aspects, about the spouses and work permits. So can you tell me a bit more about that and why you think this might be a problem? Perfect. I took you out of speaker first, so I can hear you very clearly now. Uh, no, absolutely. So it's... I like to call this a bunch of measures together. And most of the people are only focused on the cap of international students, which I'm gonna call this temporarily not a cap, but I'm gonna pause, I'm gonna call it a pause of take international students because the de facto policy that we have right now is that international students, we need to have uh, an authorization from the province and at the station letter from the province in order to come to Canada and apply for a study permit. So the effect of this cap measure is that no one can apply for a study permit unless you have this attestation from the, from the provinces. And the provinces, they haven't been started to give to issue those attestations yet. Quebec is the only province that has a mechanism in order to provide attestation letters for students that are coming to Quebec. So when we say affected, it's because Quebec already has a policy in place. Um, the deadline for the provinces, for all the provinces to catch up and be able to provide those attestation letters, it's March. So what we have is from January to March, the only students that are applying for a study permit in order to come to Canada are from Quebec. Uh, so effectively, in de facto, we have a pause in the study program and, uh, because all individuals with a CEQ, a Quebec acceptance certificate, are eligible to apply for a study permit. So this is the first set of the measures. Um, if the cap is a reduction in the number of study permits, we still don't know how uh, this cap is going to be implemented. Uh, it's Canada going to be having stricter policies in terms of the selection uh, and the admission of students? Um, it's Are we going to see more refusals of study permits? Are we going to see less letters of acceptances from colleges? Or is it going to be a first-time, first-served basis where if you meet the cap, then there we go, apply for next year. So. It concerns me how the implementation of this gap will be placed, especially for students coming this fall and next year. I mean, if you're coming this fall, you already likely received a letter of acceptance if you're doing a PhD, a master's, or even a college program. So we get to see how you're going to be affected by the cap in terms of the num total number of students. The procedure for Quebec remains the same, CAQ, and then you apply for a study permit. For the other provinces, you need this attestation letter. We don't know how to get it yet. Uh, in addition to the CAP and the attestation letter from the student, there has been some more changes in terms of the study, uh, the student program. Uh, one of the biggest changes that I call it the is the one for 
uh, work permits for spouses. Uh, the announcement that the government said that is indicates that the government will be restricting uh, study permits for um, spouses is set for specific programs, which mostly doesn't affect Concordia students, like uh, the, ba the bachelor's, uh, master's, and PhD would be exempt. But if you come in here to do a college degree or a postgraduate program, then your spouse cannot work. And this has huge repercussions to the family unit and and for the vulnerability of the spouse in Canada. I mean, if you're coming to Canada in order to advance your career and then go back home and then your spouse needs to stay home and take care of the kids, you have to think about it twice. It's still not clear, and that's the part that is really concerning me because the government makes those announcements and it seems to be able to satisfy a specific part of the Canadian population and leaves international students in limbo. We don't know. In limbo, uh, international students are anxious. Uh, we cannot start planning, not strategizing, because we don't know how uh, those policies are going to be implemented. Are students in Canada exempt? from some of the measures, including the spouses of uh, work permits for spouses. Uh, our students in Canada who are renewing their study permits exempt from some of the requirements. So all that is uh, still, in, we are still in the dark. Uh, I, think it's, I think it indicates a lack of respect from the Canadian government in terms of international students. You make an announcement and you don't tell them how it's going to be implemented. Um, I have certain, several clients who are anxious, stressed. Uh, it's a big investment to come to Canada. Um, I myself, I was an international student ages ago, and I could not imagine, and uh, I, I cannot imagine how, must, how difficult and how hard it must be for international students just seeing those policies be implemented live, not have further instructions, being in the dark, and not being able to plan your life and your future. Right. Uh, it really does seem like there's, I mean, it's been a couple of months sort of leading up to this, but there's, yeah, it's uh, a lot of, uh, it sounds nice and tidy and, uh, yeah, kind of just throwing stuff out there a little bit. There's There's been a back and forth in the media of, we, we're going to do this, we're looking at caps, they might come, other people saying, no, don't do that, <laughs> you know. Exactly, yeah. and what it seems is that international students are this scapegoat yeah. of the housing crisis or every single houses that we have in Canada, every, uh, all the crisis that we have here, and the reality is that two years ago, Canada was facilitating the well, the interest of international students. Canada was going around, going abroad and saying, we want you, come to Canada. And then we'll stay here, once you, you settle, once you make plans, once you give up so much, that Canada is like, oh no, bye, you're disposable, you're causing too much trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly in the it, pandemic, it, we, we uh, made a lot of big moves. I did some reporting on um, international nurses during COVID and uh yeah I, 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 with what you're saying i'm just thinking of them and uh they they were already you know working exactly. trying to and learn most, french if they most of them are from very far away not close uh yeah i can see how that would be the uncertainty <laughs> the uncertainty is tremendously hard 
for individuals that are in Canada on a temporary basis. Students, they have a deadline to leave Canada. And being in Canada is an investment in itself, not only for the students, but the whole family. So this uncertainty creates so much anxiety, so much, creates so much um, arbitrariness in terms of their stay. And the ultimately effect of it is that international and that Canada is not going to be an attractive country for international students. I tell my students and my clients and my staff that the lack of predictability it affects the rule of law. It affects the stability of a country. So if Canada starts having those policies that it's one day welcoming and another day not, without having long-term planning and without taking into consideration the life situation and the planning of international students, then ultimately Canada is not going to be seen as an attractive place for international mm-hmm. students. And I imagine especially Quebec compared to other provinces because we have you know our, a whole other system to deal with and we tend to do things our own way here it'll uh, be interesting to see how uh, each province ends up how they're affected long term exactly. or if they'll just walk this back in a couple of weeks because people were mad <laughs> Yeah, and it's going to be students in Quebec. They have uh, they are my superheroes because you hear your Concordia McGill or even a Francophone University. You're learning two languages. Uh, you hear you studying in English, but you have to learn French if you want to stay, or you have already planned to get a job outside Quebec. Um, you deal with a lot of policy changes. Uh, so it's, it's, it's very difficult. And a blow like that in terms of your temporary status, it, it really affects in terms of the planning. Uh, what I, I understand that has, there are some institutions, there are some educational institutions that we call um, designated learning institutions that the government itself has given the approval to have international students. We understand that there are some places that has been taken advantage of international students. I have seen in my practice uh, international students that come to Canada, they're going to a college, they're going to some educational institutions that it, the education level, the quality of the teaching is not mm-hmm. the best. Um, the, uh, the puppy mill most, comments from Minister Miller. Exactly. There are some. But like everything in life and everything, every single policy, there are some bad apples. Mm-hmm. And government needs, the government needs to be able to create a long-term sustainable plan that we're able to filter out those bad apples and take out those, those not encourage those international students that have been here, not studying, just in Canada, uh, take it, also take into consideration their personal perspective. The individuals that are here because they had an accident and they cannot study or they had a mental breakdown. Those are all exemptions we have to take into consideration. But there are some students that have been taking advantage of the system. But that's not the majority of the students. That's by far a minority of the students. And students themselves as a whole, as a community, they are being accused of just taking advantage of Canada of the immigration system. We forget that most Canadians, permanent residents and citizens in the last 10 years, the 
they were students in Canada. You forget that if you go to a fast food or like a quick bite across the street, mm -hmm. international students are starving you. Mm -hmm. uh, even most of the startups are made by, uh, have been created and founded by immigrants in Canada. And immigrants in Canada, they have a high, they were students, they have a much higher salary than Canadians born in Canada. So we have to start focus on those contributions of international students and not to just put a blanket or a cap or a ban for international students. International students are the venue at the blood of Canada. Uh, I, I, this cap for me is a political measure. It's a big, you know, how sustainable and how good it is in the long term. I really appreciate you breaking it down for me as well. The more legal aspects, uh, yeah, you answered all my questions, and I, I really thank you for this. You too. Okay. Have a good week. Bye. -bye. Too. Bye. Yeah. So that was an interview with. Uh, uh, the an immigration lawyer that you just heard. Correct, Katie? Yes, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was Vivian Albuquerque, um, a local lawyer who I spoke to about, um, largely about the student uh, uh, work visa announcement that came last week. Um, but uh, her, her, some of her points are, um, they tie into the sort of a slew of announcements we've been having lately. Um, she's not too happy with the performance of the federal immigration minister by the sound of it. And uh, I found her perspective very interesting um, as a former international student herself. Yeah, uh, a lot of great insights too. So uh, I guess it's almost time to wrap up our news roundup. Um, so, uh, but I wanted to uh, ask you what is coming down the pike for you. For me, I am working on a story about rent increase workshops that are going on um, in DG um, because it is housing season, eviction season, rent increase season. Um, the city of Montreal um, also this week has um, made some announcements, um, released some resources to Make sure that tenants really know their rights um, before they sign on to agree. Uh, actually, for the, come to think of it, I haven't got my rent increased yet. I usually get one every year. What about you, Sam? Uh, yeah, I usually get one every year, but my uh, my situ yeah, I'm in a pretty good situation, so I can like, yeah. Yeah, ours is usually reasonable. Last time they asked me for thirty bucks, and we 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 you know looked up. <laughs> how how we can say no <laughs> and uh yeah for those uh especially in the concordia maybe uh, concordia community maybe who are new to montreal um that might be a good one to tune into because it's very different here with the way quebec breaks that down breaks down exactly how much a landlord is allowed to ask it's not a it's not a flat percent it's a little bit confusing uh and people get to know their rights to their landlords don't just tell them you know yeah. Like when my landlord asked me for thirty dollars, we worked it down to twenty. Twenty was twenty was fair. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, we're. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Um, there is more coming down the pipe for Black History Month. Uh, and as 
what else do we have on the go these days? I am eagerly anticipating. I believe there's a couple unions left to uh, to vote on um, the deals. Talking about uh, since November, <laughs> the deal of over the last couple weeks um, for public sector workers. There have been uh, not a small number of smaller unions said no yet, especially in terms of things like working conditions. The the pay issue uh, is a little better. People are very happy to get that inflation clause added, but uh, some teaching unions are saying no. It's, but more than that, it's about the, the conditions that our students learn in. So I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, seeing what we got next. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Uh, you can catch us, uh, once again, you can catch us here uh, Thursdays, 9 a.m. every single uh, every single week with uh, a little news update about all the things we've been reporting on. And also you can find these episodes available online. They're on the CJLO SoundCloud, so you can check them out there. And they're also under the CJLO News uh, Spotify feed. So, uh, yeah, uh, check those out and uh, keep it locked to CJLO, though. Yep, and uh, FrequencyNews.ca, my uh, weekly plug, now that we've got a nice shiny website up over at the LJI, the Local Journalism Initiative. You'll find my reporting on there. And also a lot of... uh, a lot of good reporting from uh, Quebec, from Eastern Canada, from across the country, um, and also other reporters uh, in and around Montreal as well. Yeah, it's uh, definitely worth checking out uh, because, uh, you know, you need uh, this you kind of news is, uh, is really important when you want to think about... Yeah, I think our stories this week really showed that. We really trickled down from... <laughs> we went from federal cabinet all the way to Bienvenue NDG. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. It's uh, really all-encompassing stuff. Yep. And we'll see you next week. Yeah. Bye for now. Bye.